I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Billboard Chart Review Podcast, Harry Trust Billboard Senior Director of Charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. So we're going to be talking bad guy this week on the podcast. Trevor, you just we were just talking about bad guys. Somehow I started singing the the theme to Cops. Yeah, it was, um, well she started it, I mean me and the producer intern that we have here, the stellar Ivana. <laughs> Randomly, if you're in some film promo, you know that Bad Boys for Life is the third movie in the Bad Boys uh, canon is going to be out next year. So, you know, Bad Boys on the top of mind again. Uh, so, Bad Guy is uh, what we're talking about. Billie Eilish, Bad Guy, uh, finally hit number one on the Hot 100, dethroned the all-time longest leading number one, Old Town Road by Lil Nas X featuring Billy Ray Cyrus. Uh, Phineas, who... Billy Eilish's brother, but also uh, artist, writer, producer in his own right. He co-wrote Bad Guy with Billy, produced the song himself, and well, we wanted to find out all about it. So we've got uh, our friends, Hit Songs Deconstructed, Dave and Yael Penn, who, uh, yeah, they're our, our most uh, frequent guests on the podcast since we started this back in March 2016. They're back for, I think, their record-extending uh, 12th appearance. Record-extending. He said, I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, with Phineas. Phineas is our special guest this week here on the Billboard Sharpie podcast. So talking uh, everything about Bad Guy, how uh, how it was written, how it was produced, certain uh, parts of the song specifically that Dave and Yael are so great about just digging in and going so deep on. So uh, yeah, this podcast is going to be all Phineas and hit songs deconstructed, uh, breaking down Bad Guy, how it became such a big hit. And also Phineas with his own music uh, coming out. He's got his debut EP, Blood Harmony. That's out October 4th. And his own sold out headline tour too uh, kicks off October 15th. So uh, this is really fun. Uh, Phineas getting into all things that made Bad Guy a number one Billboard Hot 100 hit with Dave and Yal Penn from Hit Songs Deconstructed on the Billboard Sharpie podcast. Phineas, welcome to the Billboard Sharpie Podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. So uh, we're going to go uh, total deep dive into uh, Bad Guy, how it was written and produced with uh, Dave and Yael. But uh, just wanted to ask you first, uh, oh, first of all, congratulations on hitting number one on the Billboard Hot 100 with Bad Guy. What was what was your reaction right when you found out? Do you remember exactly finding out that Bad Guy had hit number one? <laughs> you know what's funny about it? 
Um, first of all, I don't know if Billy or I ever thought we'd have a number one song. Um, just because it always, you know, people that have number one songs are like our musical heroes, you know, and incredibly huge artists. So we were shocked when we were even in contention. And the week that it looked like it was going to go number one, you know, a couple members of our team were like, you know, it's pretty close to number one this week, just so you guys know. And we were like, oh, wow, that's crazy. And then um, a couple of days went by and we were like, Hey, did we, did it go number one? And somebody was like misinformed and they were like, yeah, no, no, old town road. It's still number one. We were like, well, that's cool. Good for him. And then like a day later, someone was like, no, actually it, it's number one. And we were like, Oh my God, that's so crazy. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I feel, I felt no competitive nature with, with Lil Nas. I think he's a sweetheart. And I think that song is incredibly catchy and fun and, uh, couldn't be happier for him and his, you know, 37 year run as uh, the number one song on the Billboard <laughs> Hot 100. So, uh, you know, we just feel grateful to be in such good company. You said, uh, Phineas, that uh, you just assume number one songs were by your heroes, but uh, you guys, you guys have it. Uh, also, surprised in the sense that it's it's not your typical pop hit. You and Billy have said that this. Uh, you guys say it's it's you know, it's a little little different than your typical pop song. Does that make it also surprising that you got to number one with this specific song? Yeah, I mean, totally. I think there's a lot of things about this song that. Um, when we were making it, we didn't really, we, we knew that we liked it. We were very, you know, excited about it from a kind of a creative standpoint, really liked listening to it and we liked writing it. But I think from a commercial standpoint, we were kind of overthinking that and thinking about like, you know, the kind of chorus the song needs to have to be a huge hit song. And I think this song to us just didn't feel like it had the kind of chorus that a traditional hit has. And, uh, you know, I think it's like, I think this song is a really good example of like just a song, like, you know, there's a term earworm, right? It's just, just like songs that just get stuck in your head. And I think this song probably, you know, the thing that is like the most hooky about it is that it just gets stuck in your head that you're a tough guy, like a really rough guy, never get enough guy, you know, bar. It's just like, super fun to kind of like wrap your mouth around. And I think also like in a weird way, I've noticed this when we do it live, like the crowd just kind of screams that part, you know, they just sort of chant it. And I think like one of the things that that song probably has going for it, which is like a similar thing to like, you know, the way kids sing along to a Drake song is that like, it's, it's kind of like almost a rap in that part. You know what I mean? I, I'm not, I don't want to, you know, have people jump on my throat. I don't think this is a rap fucking good God, but I do think that like you can sing along. You can, you can, you can be not a singer and sing along to bad guy because of how risky it is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I think that's really important. I think like if you write a song with like a really complex melody, even if it's a big song, like people, people sing it less because people aren't confident in their own voices, you know? All right, uh, Yael and Dave, get right into uh, what you guys do best. Let's go uh, really deep into uh, Bad Guy. Take it away. So, hey, Phineas, uh, Yael here. And first of all, congratulations on all the well-deserved success. Um, Thank you very much. You're welcome. So from what I understand, uh, what became Bad Guy's ending is actually what inspired the song to begin with. Is that right? 
Um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, it, it was it was uh, it was its own whole thing. I basically walked into Billy's room at some point in like 2017, and I heard like the basics of that beat, like the hi hat and the 808 kick drum, and she'd been like recording her own vocal for it, I believe, mm-hmm. and uh, and it was the whole kind of last I don't know how many seconds it is, like 40 seconds of the song. And it was this cool bar. Like she wrote all the lyrics that outro. So like you think he's you think she's scared of me. I don't see what she sees for me because I'm wearing your cologne. That whole thing was just like she had written out the stick. And I loved it the first time I heard it. But one of the things I loved about what she'd done is that Billy was was just, 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 just starting out on like producing at all. Like basically the first thing she'd produce. And so she hadn't like learned any of the stuff you're supposed to not do in production, like it was, <laughs> it was distorting and flipping, and, mm-hmm. and that was what I liked. Like this sounds really badass. But the part part of the problem with flipping and distortion is that because of normalizing and overload protection, a lot of that stuff gets lost when you export it, even if it's just flipping. And it doesn't mm-hmm. quite sound the way it does in the engine. And also, she had her subwoofer and her two Yamaha HS5 speakers on, like a vanity set in her room like where she would keep like you know her you know i don't even know like her (laughs) and uh and so and so the whole outro was like rattling the way that like you know speakers can rattle a room and and the rattle was really exciting like i love the way the rattle so what i had her do was i had to send me like the 808 and then the hi-hat and then i I filtered and processed them for a long time to get them to sound as dirty and angry as they, mm. you know, as they possibly could, even at like the lowest volume. That was like my goal. Like even at low volume, it sounds loud. Yeah. Um, like it sounds fierce. And then I added some like off rhythm, um, trap hats and stuff. And that was just like a cool little 45 second thing that we really liked. And, uh, you know, I just felt really good about it. And then we, we kind of didn't really know what to do with that. So we just put it on hold. And then I was with her, like, literally, like, seven or eight months later. And we were in my room just, like, messing around on stuff. And I played the kick drum bass combo that is, like, the whole, you know, root of the rest of the song. That, like, bump, banana, bump, banana. I played that on like a synth and it's like a regular like kick drum like honestly i think it was like a logic stock preset kick drum and it's just like already worked sounded really cool uh-huh. and so we started writing the verses and um the verses existed without us knowing that the song was going to turn into bad guy we just had this i played i played like these chords over top of the baseline drum pattern and playing like the triad felt really cool and I was playing them at the rhythm that the vocal ended up being and that was the inspiration for us having the vocal always be like three par harmony in the verse. And then uh-huh. I'm I'm assuming it was probably Billy's idea to be like this song should be I'm the bad guy. We should use that other part at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, okay, well now that I know that this song is called I'm the bad guy and then I wrote the whole you're a tough guy like a really rough guy. Um, just always so plus guy part off of that, and that turned into this 
hook that I think, you know, everybody sings along to so loud when we do shows. It's the best feeling. <laughs> so, so basically you had what is the ending and then you were working on what you just described. And then at what point did you know you wanted to put them together then? Um, I think as soon as we were calling the song bad guy, I think we had written like the hook of like, I'm the bad guy. I think we were like, Oh, well then, then they have to go, you know, after each other. But it was definitely like, you know, we definitely had conversations about like, are each, are each of the hooks like at the different tempo that this ending is at? Or mm. are they not like, you know, just, just we weren't, weren't like certain until we like tried everything, which I think is like, the best part about like modern production and modern recording is like you can make an unlimited amount of versions, you know? And so we always mm. kind of try every idea we have and then we just let the best idea be the best idea. So, you know, to me, I think like, you know, the rest of the song is made really interesting by the outro. And I think the outro is made really interesting by the rest of the song. So like they really, really complement each other. So what was the writing process like? Were you uh, developing the lyrics and the music concurrently or was one driving the other? How did that work? Well, the melody of the verses is, is very chordal. It's not, there's not a lot of movement in the melody of the verses. It's much more about like the rhythm that like, white shirt, now red, not slut, you know, it's like it's really syncopated. Mm -hmm. So the way that Billy and I approached that was, we both agreed on that rhythm. We thought the rhythm sounded great. And then we basically just started like pretending the lyrics into existence. <laughs> just like white shirt, white shirt, now red thing. And then it was like figuring out the rhymes and figuring out the narrative. And it became really quickly like a song about like someone having like a lot of like bravado, you know, and, and not really, <laughs> not really being the real deal and just feeling like, yeah, like you think you're like all this and really like, I don't have to brag about it because I really am that. You know what I mean? I'm the real and deal. So <laughs> all the lyrics, all the lyrics became that about like, like, you know, that I'm, I'm in control, but I can let you pretend that you're in control of this. Um, and, you know, we always wanted it to be this like really clipped rhythmic thing. And we, Sometimes we write songs, I would say most of the time we write songs just like on a piano or a guitar and we just take them and then we record it later. But in this song's case, we were recording it the whole time we were writing it, which I think was really informative and really like we knew stuff worked and stuff didn't work right away. And it's right. funny, like you'd think you'd think recording a vocal that's that rhythmic and that syncopated is easier than it is. It's really like a challenge. So we really like worked really hard on making sure the timing of everything was right and like just made it we wanted it to feel really sharp which i think is how it feels ultimately oh yeah definitely so how long did it take from uh from when you guys actually started working on the song uh to when you completed it um you know the way we work is a kind of a funny thing we don't usually like it's not like the set of a of a movie or a TV show. It's not like every day until it's done. Usually it's like one day where we get a lot done and then we work on other stuff for a while and then we come back to it another day and we get more done and then we work on other stuff and then we come back to it another day and maybe it's almost finished. So I, I would bet that like the total amount of days that we actually worked on the song is like four, four or five full days. 
but over wow. the course of like, you know, probably like seven months, hmm. six months, seven months. And then the, the outro was obviously like mostly written and recorded the summer before that. So it was like, it was like eight, like a week and a half of work over the course of like a year. Okay. So, um, bad guy takes you on a bit of a roller coaster ride with twists and turns and some unexpected developments that really puts it in a class of its own. And we'd love to get your take on some of the elements that we found most interesting. What I'll do is turn things over to uh, Hit Songs Deconstructed's chief deconstructor, <laughs> David Penn. Oh, that's a title. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Al. Hey, Finis, how are you? So, how are you? I'm great. What really sets Bad Guy apart from other recent Hot 100 Top 10 hits, besides the uh, the dark, taunting, tongue-in-cheek lyrics, are the unique production qualities and sounds that you brought to it. So let's start at the top of the song and check out the intro. So it kicks off with this killer bass hook, which, along with the kick, establishes the uh, the driving down and dirty vibe. Now, layered over it, yep. Billy's fragmented vocals are heard doubling the hook melody, casually floating in and out of the mix. So I'm curious, was there something specific that you were looking to accomplish by having Billy's vocals fragmented in that matter? Yeah, absolutely. We were accomplishing tone. Um, dub bass and kick energy often makes the actual key that you're in feel obscure, especially when you're listening to something on an iPhone or yep. listening to it on a laptop or you're listening to it on AirPods. Very yep. hard to distinguish um, tonality in a sub space. Basically anything under like 150, 200 hertz, very mm -hmm. hard to distinguish. So we knew that if, if we had Billy singing along, you'd know exactly what key is in by the time the vocal came in. Mm. Gotcha. And what I also like about it is that it also draws attention to the bass hook and helps to define that. I thought that was really clever about that. Yeah, I mean, the same same principle. I think that's the whole goal is like exactly. make it more than a bass hook, make it a thing. And, yep. and like when we've been like on tour, we've been on tour in Europe for the last, um, I don't know, month or so. And like yeah. the kids, like kids in the crowd sing along to the bass line at the beginning of the song. Oh. Like it's like a, like a, soccer a soccer chant or something it's the best that's, that's cool that's cool well that that's when you know you have a good hook <laughs> very cool um so speaking of the bass hook how'd you come up with it was it something that you already had in the pocket or you know did it come about more during the writing process um it feels kind of like a like a pattern that i might have been just playing whenever I got to like a sub bass on a keyboard, but it's definitely yeah. very, like I play it live on a bass guitar mm. um, and it sounds the same, but on a keyboard, it's, it's, it's basically like the chord broken up into notes in a low octave. So yeah. it's a really like thin bass line. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if mm. I would have written it if I hadn't been on like a thin bass. Um, mm. And the funny, the, the just a little thing I'll add is that we, it was this kick the kick bass thing and the kick and the bass needed to like just sound perfect together yeah, because yeah. it was like the only two elements. And so every time we would go to record the vocal, I would be like, wow, this sounds great. And then every <laughs> time we'd listen back and be like, something's missing. And I realized that the mm. thing that was missing was that I, I really liked 
the high end of the metronome on the kick drum. Because the metronome and the kick are, you know, just one mm. floor with every beat. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I love the way the metronome sounds. Yeah, so I totally. Actually, yeah. I actually re-record, I recorded the metronome and then put the metronome on the song. That's cool. whatever the kick drum cuts out, but it's, there's yeah. part of the, you know, there's obviously a lot of like low end of the kick, which is like other drums, but one of the parts of the high end is actually the, the metronome. I caught it really just helped it cut through. So that's really interesting. The, the built in logic metronome to that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Now, one other thing is that um, Billy's vocal, along with a minimal reverb and sparse arrangement, makes it, you know, feel really yeah. up close and personal, which is, you know, not only indicative of the song, but the album as a whole. So I was wondering if you talk a little bit about that. I mean, we've evolved the way we approach um, the treatment of her vocals a lot. And mm -hmm. one of the things we wanted to do on this record was never put in a reverb or, or a delay that didn't have like a purpose to it. Mm. Um, a lot of the time in pop music, especially there's a reverb kind of on the whole vocal of the whole song without much of an explanation. And the reason that is, is that reverb makes vocals sound better 99% of the time. It right, just makes right. them sound more full and more lush and makes mm -hmm. the notes ring out. And, you know, I have nothing against reverb, but one of our approaches to this book, this album was to make it feel like you were sitting right next to Billy yeah. in our bedroom recording. And also, you know, we did make this whole album in a bedroom. And so mm -hmm. I think when you make an album in an environment, you kind of want the album to sound like that environment. And obviously, like, my little bedroom at my parents' house had no reverb. You know what I mean? It wasn't a church right. or a big hall or anything. So sure. We liked, we liked how cut and dry all of the vocals felt, and we just started to embrace it. And, um, you know, there are little, like, there's a lot of, like, when you dry out a vocal, you can make a lot of decisions about the vocal that come in and out that people pay a lot of attention to. Like, I think if there was a lot of reverb on the vocal of this whole song, mm -hmm. everybody, like, was really excited about, like, the tremolo effect on, like, the the hook vocal, like, when it yep. goes on the bad yeah. guy, mm -hmm. it kind of sounds like a rattlesnake. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah, feel like yeah. if I had had, like, a bunch of reverb and delay on the rest of the song, that stuff wouldn't be as noticeable. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So it was all about, like, getting out of... And also, like, you know, one of the things about Billy is the voice just, like, rocks. So I'm never mm -hmm. trying to, like, hide her voice from anybody. I just want everybody to, like... I'm, I'm like... I'm like a proud dad. I'm like, <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. So following the intro, Bad Guy then heads into the first verse where the bass hook remains in effect and then Billy layers in her harmonized staccato vocals. So let's just check that out. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. White shirt, now red, my bloody nose sleeping. You're on your tippy toes creeping around like no one knows. Think you're so criminal. Bruises on both my knees for you. Don't say thank you. Oh, please, I do what I want when I'm wanting to. My soul, so cynical. So, first of all, that's a killer opening line that really sets the tone of the song. But um, what I'd love to focus on are some of the more production techniques, like the multi-layered, fanned-out snaps, and the increasing number of vocal layers, which, along with Billy's yeah. limited range and staccato delivery, you know, really provides Bad Guy with a very unique quality. So, can you talk a little bit about them and how it helped to create the vibe that you were going for? In the beginning on the vocal melody was, was that I was sitting at a piano playing like a right, D minor right. chord with that syncopation. So that that ended up being really appealing was just like sticking with that G minor chord and having the voice do that. And so the, the kind of lead vocal is playing the is the center note of that triad. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. the harmony the harmonies are the low and high, which just makes it up to be the full chord. So if you think about it, the only chord in the song is the vocal. You know what I mean? True, like, yeah. There's a bass note and a kick drum, but the only actual chordal center is just what her voice is doing, mm-hmm. which was really appealing to me. Um, and then um, I'm just a, the biggest fan of minimalism, so to me it's like, let's see how long we can keep it just be a kick drum, and then, okay, now, now we need to do something else. Instead of adding like a huge snare like let's add like these little like crunchy snap like bone breaking sounds that just yeah. come in that are really loose like they're not super quantized they're just yeah kind of, yeah like, on like on each note which i thought like was really interesting yeah and then um you know i think just like leaving the most room for like each each lyric to stand out like she says mm. criminal and then i think the next one is um my soul so cynical and i think the yep. beat dropped out for a second and just like anything that we could do to just really like draw as much attention to like her lyrics as possible is really the goal mm-hmm. yeah totally but what i also like about the snaps is that it really does contribute to that kind of creepy offsetting quality about the song so you know it's like more of like an adam's family kind of snap thing going on you know it's really it was really cool oh totally yeah no, that was <laughs> like, it was just definitely like the goal yeah 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 i thought it was great cool um so after the verse you know we get into was typically the focal point in every hit and that's of course the chorus now while bad guys right. eight bar chorus is really catchy. You know, what's interesting is that there isn't one particular hook that really stands out in the section. You know, instead, it, like, the chorus takes tension and anticipation to a climax and then sets up that main payoff in the two bars that follow in the turnaround. So I'm just going to play that for a second here. So cynical. So you're a tough guy, like you're really rough guy. Just can't get enough guy. Just always so puff guy. 
First off, I have to ask, how did the duck come about? Because it really makes for this unforgettable song-defining moment. <laughs> um, you know, I think we, we always try to inject a sense of humor into mm-hmm. our music. And, uh, you know, I think, I, think we have, I think it might have just been a thing we were saying. You know, we had, like, the whole book, and then there was this, like, pop pause, and I think we might have just been like, duh, and we thought that was funny. And then, of course, like, this is, like, the whole deal with, like, any, like, halfway spoken word thing. Yeah. That you, you, you're you like, well, that'll be easy because I don't have to have, like, perfect pitch on it. It's just a word. And you sing, you say duh, like, 700 times. Right, right. So how many takes did it actually take? <laughs> Good question. Oh, so, so, so many. I mean, it took an incredibly high number of takes. And, you know, even then, like, you know, we still were, like, second-guessing it so much. Yeah. And it's just, like, one of those funny things. But I really like the delivery that she had a lot. I think it's, like, so it's such, got such good character. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, a couple little production, you know, bits on that are like there's a little offbeat kind of shaker hi-hat type thing yeah, yeah. to try to build momentum and then there's a, a plugin i use a lot called omnisphere and yeah. one of the passes it had yeah. sounds like static electricity or like a static breakup and uh and that's kind of the only like quote-unquote riser of the song like mm-hmm. usually in order to build to build like tension and release like you build like a a sound that escalates and then um, de-escalates, and um, in that song's case, the only thing that really does that is this weird, like, like this, like static electricity sound. Yeah, thing. I was like, wondering really about that. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, and and also like I I like the idea of having a piece that like maybe tricked out listeners, and they were like, "Ooh, I wonder if there's like a glitch in the song or something." Like, I'm always <laughs> looking for like purposeful glitches. Um, yeah. And then the other, the other crazy thing about the production on the, the, um, the hook or the chorus part A mm. is that there's this little like seeping happening at first on every two counts and then on every count and then every half count. And what that is, is it's the weight, the weight tone of a stop sign or a stoplight in Australia. Billy and I were on tour in Australia and we heard ah. like their sound. And we thought it was awesome. And then the thing that sounds like it's a, a hi-hat on like 16th notes in the rest of the hook. Yeah. It isn't a hi-hat. It's actually just the crosswalk like go sound in Australia. But I like oh, wow. cut it out. Seriously. You're giving it like this kind of like almost like a retro 70s disco vibe with that, you know, on the on the upbeat. It was really cool. But that I didn't realize that that Hopefully. was the the uh, the sound. That's really cool. It made us, uh, it kept us entertained. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one question. Um, so you seem to use uh, found sounds quite a bit in your music. Uh, I know that uh, you also used one in Break My Heart Again, uh, which was the sound of texting. Yeah. What is it right. about uh, a found sound that makes you want to use it in a song? Well, you know, I think sounds like, 
to me, it's all about like articulating like the message of the song in a case like Break My Heart Again. Like Break My Heart Again has um, like texting sounds because like the, the premise of that song is that like all the lines in the verses of that song are like literally like text. Me and my ex-girlfriend basically mm-hmm. sent each other. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to help articulate that. <laughs> but I think like as far as like match striking and like crosswalk sounds, it's like I just want to have stuff that sounds unique and interesting, you know? Yeah. And I think like, you know, I use sample libraries and, you know, sounds that everybody has access to all the time because they're great. But anytime I have like a sound that I find that I'm like, whoa, only I have this sound. <laughs> even if it's like a crosswalk, even if it's like a crosswalk in Australia where anybody could walk up to that, hear that, it's like only I'm using it, you know? And I think yeah. those things are like, super exciting to me. And then in the case of, like, watch from, like, striking matches, that's, like, even better. I'm, I'm literally like, standing in my bathroom with Billy, like, striking, striking matches <laughs> until, like, the, until, like the, the smoke alarm goes off. You know, I think those things... Awesome. They just add, like, a level of, like... Yeah. They add, like, a depth to the production that, like... And I, I think beyond all of those things, there's... You can... You could produce a song in a hundred million different ways and yeah. that can be kind of stressful because you never know if you're making the right decision and I think anytime there's any sound that feels like it has to be in a song like it's like oh my god well we have to put that in there it kind of it kind of like relieves me it makes me feel like I know that I know what I'm doing you know I think if you're like just trying out 17 different <clears throat> snare drums or 17 different hi-hats like hard to tell like which one actually is like the right hi-hat and not like the one that you enjoy hearing but whenever there's like something that's like really just like sounds great in that song it's like have to use it yeah yeah now one other thing about the chorus before we move on is that you, you pull in the you know two bars that follow the chorus you pull the full accompaniments and you really highlight, you know, the I'm a bad guy hook and also the duh. But now what's interesting is that you use them a lot throughout the song. And it's a lot more typical or common to do this production technique in hip hop than it is in pop. You know, pop songs might have, you know, pull the accompaniment totally or just partially just to accentuate the impact of one particular section like the chorus, but you're doing it all over the place, both within and across sections. So I was just wondering, what was your... I mean, uh, you, know, you know, I mean, you you're, you analyze hip all day, but you know why they do that in hip-hop so much, right? Because they don't have actual stems. They just have one instrumental file. And so oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They yeah, can, yeah, yeah. They can either leave the instrumental file in or yeah, yeah, they can yeah. mute it. And so there's there's all these stops in hip hop yep. and it's literally because they're like, damn, we need a change here. And so they just pull the instrumental out. Which yeah. is like hilarious, but really effective. <laughs> so I, it's effective. I, yeah. I, I definitely like I try to like make sure that I'm like learning from stuff like that as much yeah. as possible. And you know, I feel like any focus pulling is like huge for me and like to me like the way that you can make sounds feel really big is to have mm-hmm. silence around them. You know, yeah. like if you listen to like a huge, huge rock song, it doesn't even sound as loud as like a crazy bass drum sound in a song with not a lot in it because sure, yeah. there's not enough space for it. So I definitely try to just like leave as much space around everything as possible. Yeah, I just thought it was great because it was just this other kind of typical quality found in, you know, other kinds of songs, but the way that you implement it is so atypical compared to most other songs that it really provided the song with another unique vibe, which I thought was really cool. Well, 
that's awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you for thanks for saying that. I like it. So um Let's see. Following the chorus, we get to the post-chorus. And here you hit the listener with what I like to call a triple hook punch. So let's check check it out. Duh. So there's the bass hook, which is, you know, also featured in the intro, verse, and chorus. There's the repetition of the stuttered song title hook from the turnaround. And now most notably, there's now a retro sci-fi-ish lead synth hook. So what led you in that direction to that sci-fi-ish synth hook and also that sound? I just thought it sounded really spooky and fun. And it, yeah. it added like a really new element to a song that like needed an out. Like it had, it didn't have an element like that up until that point. And so I knew that it would be impactful. Mm. And uh, it was a melody that I definitely just like, was like whistling or humming and then and then played on a keyboard after whistling or humming it. And it's kind of a Yiddish melody. Kind of, uh, kind of reminds me of like some, something in Fiddler on the Roof. Mm. Yeah, sort of, uh, a Yiddish I- overtone. <laughs> I, I was actually thinking like 60s Batman breakout dance kind of stuff, like go-go dancer, you know? <laughs> totally. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's just like, it kind of doesn't belong in the song, but it works so well in the song, you know, and it just takes it to a whole new level in terms of vibe and hookiness. The thing that it is, is it, it's right in the same tonal frequency range as the vocal. It's like mm. a very vocal hook. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, like totally. That, that might have even been a melody that we experimented to Philly think. Like, I can't even remember, but it was like, it's very singable. And I, I knew that it wasn't a vocal part. So that's what mm. it really is. It's like, it's only in that part of the song because there is a vocal in that part of the song. So there's room for it. You know? And yeah. It's like, again, it's, it's all about just like space. It's all about like, what can we because if that was happening at the same time as like the vocal like you wouldn't know which melody to listen to Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, exactly yeah now what's also interesting is that instrumental hook post choruses are like really rare in pop so you know most have a vocal hook focus so did you know that bad guy was the only hot 100 top 10 hit so far in 2019 to feature an instrumental hook post chorus I didn't know that, but mm. it's definitely why I didn't think it would be in the top ten. <laughs> <laughs> Just another atypical quality that sets you apart. So. Exactly. Cool. Exactly. So after the post-chorus, you actually hit the listener with another pronounced change-up in the second verse where you initially break it down to just claps and snaps. So let's check that out. I like it when you take control even if So in addition to shaking things up, I was really wondering if that clap and snap driven breakdown was like intentionally done to provide Billy with like a set point in the song where she can engage the audience in a live setting, you know, get them clapping and singing along. A hundred thousand percent. That was the whole goal. Cool. Um, We knew, we we knew without a shadow of a doubt that it was a song that we were going to open our, our tour and show with this year um, because obviously we didn't we didn't know it would be a hit we just knew yeah. that we loved it and so yeah. we were like we were like we're we're gonna start every show song and we knew that it was just this amazing clap along moment and we yeah. always wanted a moment like that 
And cool. So we just really loved that, like one, one, two, one clap pattern. Loved it. Yeah. And they totally get into it. <laughs> so one other thing about the second verse is that it provides another song-defining moment through a really intriguing lyrical twist. So I'm just going to read this one here. So it begins with, I like it when you take control. Even if you know that you don't own me, I'll let you play the role. I'll be your animal. But then it's followed by, my mommy likes to sing along with me, but she won't sing the song if she reads all the lyrics. She'll pity the men I know. So where did this second stanza come from? You know, it's a complete departure from the song's narrative. I mean, I think the, the whole approach to a second verse is to reintroduce the melody of the first verse and to shift the content and then right. to set up the chorus a different way. I think the right. goal of the second verse is to make the chorus sound like a new chorus, even though it's the same chorus. Mm. And uh, all of this was articulated a couple years ago when I wrote a song with the artist Christina Perry mm -hmm. of, of Dar of Art, Human and all that. I wrote a song with her and we were working on the second verse and I was focusing on a rhyme and she said, well, don't, don't forget about the second verse, no rule rule. <laughs> mm. And that really cracked me up. She was just like, There's no, there should be no rule in the second verse. And I was like, oh, I love that. And uh, it's always been how I approach <laughs> second verses that you yeah. can just make them interesting and memorable. And uh, the lyrical content of that, I've talked about our mom, is that our mom is, is our biggest supporter and our biggest fan and yeah. loves our music. And sometimes we write songs that are not, that do not make us out to be altruistic. We write songs where we are like not great people in the song. And mm. the joke is that if we were singing it to her, she would like sing along and then realize what we're singing about. And then we'd like, <laughs> no, so reprehensible. So that was kind of the joke. You have to remember that this is the song where in the hook we say might seduce your dad type. Yep. <laughs> Skipping ahead in the song, you know, we get to that outro and where the song just yep. totally, totally flips on its head. So I was just wondering, so yep. usually after such a departure, a song would typically go back to familiar territory, which would, you know, most typically be the chorus. But instead you keep that heavy, dark trap vibe in effect right through the end, and you never return to the hooky qualities that define the first three quarters. So for us, you know, the song's ending left us wanting to go back for another listen to hear those hooks again. So did you consider that at all, or did you just really want to end the song on that unsettling note? I think we, I think it was many of those things, you know, Billy and I are always um, promoting the idea of like less being more and that, <laughs> you, you know, instead mm. of making a song four minutes long, it's more fun to just listen to a two minute song twice. Yeah. And, yeah, um, yeah. you know, I think, uh, I think in this, in this song specific case, you know, we uh, like, it goes back to like, like her outro hook that she wrote. She says I'm a bad guy like six times or mm -hmm. something. So it's not like it loses the, the title of the song or anything. It just kind of reintroduces it in a different way. Yeah. And uh, you know, I think I think we we have a tendency to be a little a little structurally reckless as long as each part of the structure is really interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like well we're said. Not trying yeah. to like abandon a part of a song that you want to hear again. So we'll definitely give it to you again. But we mm. definitely aren't afraid of just like ending song before it goes into a, a middle eight and before it goes into like a final payout for it or a down for it or anything like that. You know, and also this this song structure is essentially intro, verse, 
um, chorus, parts A and B, and then a post-chorus, and then verse two, which is like a, a down verse, and then the the hook, chorus A again, and then the post-chorus double, yep. and it introduces that sort of like death camp part with like the I'm only good at being bad, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. it goes to the thing. So it, a whole song could almost be over there, you know what I mean? Like, if you're, I mean, if you're comparing it to a song like Old Town Road, I think at that point it's possibly like it's a two-minute territory, you know? Mm-hmm. So it definitely could just end there, um, which I think is, like, another thing that we're always, like, thinking about is, like, just not not having to, like, you know, follow any stricture mm-hmm. from, like, you know, an, a former era. It's like, yeah. you know, Billy and I, <laughs> this isn't a thing I'm, like, proud of, per se, but, like, the amount of times I'll like listen to the to the payoff of the song without mm. listening to the whole song is I do that a lot. I listen to like the first minute of a song yeah. I want to hear, and I that's enough. You know what I mean? It's like a, <laughs> like a couple. Of, I hear you. A, sure, totally. that's what Dave does. <laughs> yeah, sure. Like sometimes you don't need a whole slice of chocolate cake; you just want like three bites, and that's like really tasty. Yeah, uh, totally. But I also love how you have that prolonged silence at the end of that post-chorus, which like makes you think, is that is the song over? And then you just hit him hard, and it's just great. It just works so well. Thanks, man. And and we love um, that heavily processed laugh. Um, what inspired that? Oh yeah, <laughs> um, we have our mics on like all the time, and. That laugh is definitely, like, an authentic laugh. Like, I don't remember what it was that caused. So, like, I don't know what cracked her up. But, like, we have so many things like that in our songs where she, like, coughs or something and, like, cracks us up. And we, I mean, you know, and that, that song, you know what it might be, honestly? Because initially that intro to the album about, like, her invisible getting taken out was going to be part of Bad Guy. Um, and we laughed a bunch in that. So I might've just mm. taken that laugh or something, but oh, cool. yeah, I mean, I just thought I, I like pitched it up, like changed the timing of it and made it sound so creepy and weird. And I just, <laughs> I just loved it because it was so like the whole song. I just feel like the whole song is like, couldn't be taking itself like less here. Like it would be such a boring song to listen to. If you were listening to a song, it was just like, I am, I am so evil and bad and like hardcore. It would just be so yeah. boring. And so to me, like the whole song from like lyrics, like hippy toes and like, yeah. know, like the, that laugh in it. But it's like, we wanted it to really be like this kind of like hilarious thing that, you know, it wasn't a joke song at all to us, but it was a funny villain. You know what I mean? I think yeah. like, when I think of like my favorite movies, all the bad guys are really funny. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. But what I also like about that laugh is that it introduces that section just so well because you have the song totally flipping on its head, and it's almost like, you know, you're like making fun of the listener, like, "Oh, were you digging that? Now dig this." You know, <laughs> so, exactly. it's just it was really exactly. cool. <laughs> so, um, I guess we have one last question for you. What advice can you give aspiring songwriters and producers that want to score that major hit? while still remaining true to their own artistic vision. Yeah, so the I would I'll try to give a, a sort of a simple broad answer to that. It would be study all the music that you love really hard. Like study why you love it and what makes songs that you love great structurally and hook wise and lyric wise and tempo wise. 
study them all, ingest that, write songs that give you similar feelings of songs that you love, that are inspiring to you, um, you know, make music that feels a little derivative to you if you feel like it, just to learn how it feels to write a song like that. And then once you've done all that, don't be afraid to ignore all of your own advice and make something that feels like it's a completely different thing and that it, it might never be a hit because there are no songs on the Billboard Top 10 this year that have instrumental hooks. And then maybe <laughs> have a song that's on the Billboard Top 10. Well said. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Phineas. Well, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Nice to talk to all of you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.